Welcome to Voices of the Valleys, a series interviewing growers, entrepreneurs, educators, and technologists who are inventing new solutions for today's and tomorrow's challenges on the farm. Brought to you today by Harvestport, an innovation hub and marketplace for better agricultural products, practices, and ideas. Find out more at harvestport.com. Now, here's your Voices of the Valley's host, Director of Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology, Dennis Donahue. Welcome back to a, another uh, episode of Voices of the Valley. This is Dennis Donahue, and this week we're looking forward to continuing our conversation with Harvestport CEO Brian Dawson. So, as you got into this business analysis, and we were chatting before we uh, uh, got on the air of uh, the evolution of uh, Harvestport. As it, as it got started to your focus now, because uh, obviously given, given your background as starting a number of co- companies, you, you know, you, you know how to, uh, you know, kind of assess where your op- opportunities are going to be or, or not be. Uh, as, as you went through this learning curve, at, at what point did you say, I, I need to expand or perhaps change my business model because the thing I was kind of struck by, and it's interesting to hear uh, how the business design took took place with uh, innovation endeavors because, you know, the growing community wouldn't say, hey, throw in the Airbnb concept, but the tech community would. So it's almost like you designed, uh, you, know, the, you know, the perfect blending of the two worlds, yet you kind of changed the game as you got into it. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, Fortunately, we were able to sort of move the needle quickly in the beginning with the sharing model enough to get to sort of another fundraising point. We were able to get good traction from some very large customers, which was good. On This is on the equipment sharing side. So we were able to get at least to sort of the next step. And we raised a Series A, and that was led by Cultivian Ventures, who I know you know, and you know, they're mm-hmm. best-in-class venture fund with bunch of strategic LPs. So they've been just fantastic partners, um, you know, very, very close with the Cultivian guys, great folks. And they were the first institutional venture capital investor to sort of see the crowd that we were drawing and the interest and understand. I think what they found interesting was that we just understood the realities of field level agriculture and how to please, difficult to please customers, these very large guys with a lot of leverage um, and we could dig into this some other time, but I mean, you can imagine when you share assets or when you get assets from, you know, a third party who's a sort of professional rental, there's damage, there's loss, assets get held longer than right. they should. And we had a lot of learnings around that. And I think we, we did and still do uh, a really good job managing that. So it was sort of, we were able to demonstrate we, we knew something about the ag supply chain. We knew how to keep our customers happy. And so we were able to raise a series A. But to your point, what often happens with a startup, and I think, frankly, when I talk about this publicly, sometimes I have framed it in the past as, hey, we want it as a startup, you always want to grow faster. You always want to expand value. You want to have your existing customers. Basically, you want to capture more share of their wallets, essentially. We're getting them equipment. We want to get them other stuff. But I think the reality was we hit a point, and the equipment business was interesting, but it wasn't going to be a big venture scale business, at least I didn't know at the time how to take it to a big venture scale business because we had a lot of you know, marquee customers, but they would use us on a particular asset one time a year. And we'd get, you know, sort of bumpy spot, you know, up and down revenue, 
you'd get these guys, we were having trouble getting them from one piece of equipment or one category to another. And it was moving, it just wasn't moving fast enough. And you know, you find yourself, and I think this happens a lot in ag tech where the, the operator sort of looks in the mirror and says, I either have to make a change to move faster because I've already started raising from a venture fund. And that, that's a, once you start to go down that venture road, you're going for the swing for the fences. You're not going for the sort of small business. Or, you know, I could have also said, hey, this is going to be a good sort of provincial business and we'll keep it small and we'll have organic growth. And we're looking at more of a 10 year time frame instead of a three to five year time frame and that sort of thing. But what, what we figured out and we did this from interacting with the customers we had, which is something I think culturally Harvest Sport has always tried to do. And it's something, you know, actually you, Dennis, and Western Growers, and I think, you know, there, there's been several allies in making sure that ag tech gets in front of growers interested in their services. And it's key, not just in closing a sale, but in fine tuning your business model, our business model is getting the input of the grower. And so we went and said, look, you know we get your operation we're able to get you things on time assets you know fit for purpose we're able we've been able to share stuff we work well with your you know uh, field supervisors your grower relations guys you know we can interact at multiple levels of your organization what else can we get you because we want to do more for you you know and everybody across the board every single one of these customers said crop input and it wasn't like they didn't know how to get crop inputs, but there was a transition going on with a bunch of these customers where they were moving from full service customers where they had a crop retail agronomist that was assigned to them and they would pay a premium because they had this agronomist and they'd pay a premium on their products because they had this reliable agronomist. And most of these guys were getting bigger or wanting a level of independence. And this obviously this is more of a sort of consolidation story in general in ag where the big guys are getting bigger and they were hiring agronomists in-house and wanting to handle uh, sort of re-embrace agronomy. And actually this is a theme, not only large guys, but I think a lot of younger farmers feel like the previous generation outsourced a lot of the agronomy. And this is my anecdotal feeling from spending time in the field, but a lot of the younger farmers want to sort of own that part of farming operations again. So we had all these customers that had recently transitioned um, one of whom is worth mentioning because they were the first one that we did a sort of beta buy with. And they're exactly who I'm talking about in this situation where they brought, they hired agronomists in-house and they had never done this, is Bowles Farming and Los Banos. And I know you know the Bowles guys. You know, they said, look, it is so cumbersome to get bids. We're transitioning over. There's all these different guys. We can't always shop apples to apples. Um, and obviously, I use Bowles as an example, one, because they're open to us talking about this. The, you know, beta buy we did with them. But two, they're a very sophisticated historic operator. They're not, they, they put thought into everything they do. And yet even for them, and this is the story across the board, it was hard to know, it was hard to sort of benchmark how you were doing. How am I buying versus other tomato process, you know, processing tomato guys? How am I buying versus other guys in the North, you know, Central Valley? How am I buying overall? And there were just a lot of questions because there's a lot of sort of murkiness in the crop retail supply chain. And most of that, actually, I would blame not on the crop retailers, but on the manufacturers and the sort of rebates and incentives and these kind of black box programs that are, you know, deliberately designed to be non-transparent. And anyway, 
we came in and I, I won't go down on that soapbox and beat up the big four because they, they do some good things as well. But um, I think the pricing model has not been beneficial on traditional chemistry products to most growers. Um, at least that's what I would argue. And what we did is we did this beta buy with Bowles and some other folks. And we went around to all the usual crop retailers. And we had some relationships with a couple of them. But I didn't really do much with crop retailers prior to a couple of years ago. We did, we did some asset sharing programs with a couple of the big nationals just to help them sort of streamline things. But I went to these guys and said, hey, we want to be, we want to do a buy. And uh, I don't know how in the weeds I should get on, on here. But, you know, part, there was a lot of. Uh, questioning of motives in the beginning. Are you guys taking the farmer's business network approach? Are, are you trying to completely disintermediate us? And we said, no, we want to work with the channel, not for any particular dogmatic reason, but because I think crop retail is a good way to cost effectively get products to growers. It's just practical concerns. And so, but we did this beta buy and we found we actually very simply by pricing things out and by aggregating uniform crop acres. So, you know, you take all the processing tomato guys or the cotton guys, you take a big group. We were able to save 20% for some of these folks, for these very sophisticated operators. And we said, we think we can do this. And this was the start of our, of our program that now has evolved into more than just pricing time savings. And we have what I would describe as sort of sophisticated financial tools around planning. We've taken the approach that guys don't want to shop for crop inputs like you shop for stocks on Amazon. You don't need the consumer conveniences. You don't want to look at all the different stuff. You want the shopping done for you. And so we've done that. And our sort of product manifestation has not been Amazon for ag. It hasn't been a marketplace because I don't think that's what guys need. I don't think it's what they want. It's been more like a Bloomberg financial terminal for planning your procurement, planning your inputs, laying your inputs over your outputs. We actually have a, I would say in many ways, though we buy crop inputs, we aggregate by crop inputs, our offering is more um, competitive without having to sort of learn a new platform to someone like Granular or Conservice or you know these kind of groups where we offer financial planning tools and they're much easier for the grower to use because they actually, we end up doing their full service procurement. So we know everything they're buying, everything they're doing. They don't have to do any data entry. They don't have to learn any new programs. And they have a very sophisticated understanding of what's financially going on, both prior to the farm gate, on the farm, and then now on some level with some of the outputs. And it sounds like the 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 paradigm shift your uh, taking advantage of in terms of offering a service is if if the agronomy piece of day to day farming operations shifts from a third party to uh, in house, uh, then it then it just it's it's logical you're going to look uh, you know in to that person to do uh, that position so to speak to do what it had previously done uh, you know uh, as as a third party. This type of this type of service would meet would meet the needs of uh, a shift towards bringing uh, uh, an agronomist in in house because the role of an agronomist is going to be those those services make those types of decisions. So it it's it sounds like your strategy met the moment. I think it did, and I, yeah, you you've described it accurately. I mean, our core customer 
In fact, the customer we really focus on is what the crop retailers refer, depending if it's the Midwest or California, refer to either transactional customers or bids customers. And exactly as it sounds, these are guys who have now uncoupled agronomic service from product pricing. And once they do that, they want to get as many bids as possible. And not only do they want to get as many bids as possible, so we're not just simply spot market bidding. We have an, a full service enterprise product that most of the folks use, particularly the big land management folks. That's another example of, of the, the kind of customer where we are actually doing all their buying. Every single input, we do their buying. And so you get a different kind of window into an operation. It's not a spot market. This is one of the problems with some of these other people that claim crop into it. They're just doing spot market bidding all here. I need one product. I need this. I'm running this. It's very hard to manage. It's very cumbersome. You need a lot of physical people. You need to build a lot of sort of supply chain management tools that don't really offer much value to the grower. And at the end of the day, you're not really building anything that's more sophisticated than calling up Nutrient or Simplot or Wilbur yourself. Um, and so for us, we're sort of a, a procurement arm. We become a part of the team for the grower where we are doing all their buying. We are looking at their historic buying. We subscribe to five different databases so that any customer, and this is the case in California right now, if, you, if we have their farming entity, you know, the LLC or whatever it is where they're farming, I can pull six years of product history. I can walk in and say, here's what you need. And here's what I can buy it for. And the sales conversation takes about two minutes because they can actually see the savings. They've saved time. They've done this. And this is, I think, again, been particularly appealing to these big guys where it's just not their, their core competence to do this. Obviously, these big, sophisticated customers, they could build their own procurement group. It's not like we're doing something that they cannot do. My, my sort of pitch is it's much more cost effective to have Harvest Board do this. And at the end of the day, because we have a window into you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions overall, but hundreds of thousands of individual high value crops, almonds, pistachios, walnuts, et cetera. We can just command pricing and speak at a level that even the largest operators in California cannot do. So it becomes just much more cost effective, much easier. You get everything handled to just hand this over. Harvestport, you're my new procurement group. Go get all my stuff. And that's what we've been doing. And that's been our core offering. And then again, from that data, we've been able to build some very interesting financial tools because again, this is one of the weaknesses of the sort of ERP platforms in ag is you have to do data entry and learn a new software and do these kinds of things where Harvestport, we're just plugged into the field operations. We literally have a holistic window. I mean, I can go in our system right now and tell you any of our clients, I mean, very sophisticated sort of down to the acre economic analysis. And this leads me to some of the stuff we're doing now with some of these big farmland management companies. And even in two cases, interacting with their investors who are pension funds or endowment funds to try to find acres at risk. Where are there acres where your inputs are creeping up on your outputs, where the mix of inputs and the geography and the soil uh, allow for change for example, and, you know, and we're starting to help people target if they want to do a new program. Often we have folks actually who have a specific sustainability metrics they want to hit. I want to reduce nitrogen or I want to reduce, um, you know, pesticides or I'm actually a big one. I want to get off glyphosate, you know, Roundup, because I think it's going to be banned in California. And by the way, I do think it's going to be banned in California in a couple of years. 
And if you ban that overnight and have to go from your primary herbicide at $15 an acre to hand weeding at $500 an acre or whatever the hell the labor costs would be, it's too big a delta for guys to absorb. So we're starting to sort of be able to dig in and find opportunities to de-risk your land platform. Well, you know, I'm still busy learning all my uh, tech acronyms. I, you know, I tell folks it took me five years to figure out what LOL meant, you know, and, uh, and, uh, but it's, it sounds like you're, uh, uh, and, and, you know, I caught on a little quicker on SAS, but it sounds like, you know, Harvestport, uh, you know, that shift to the, uh, procurement side, uh, you, you know, you're building extra layer, extra layers. And, uh, uh, so there's, there's a software service component of all this besides the, uh, the value proposition that I know our growers are interested in. If they can say, if they can save 20%, that's a big, that's a big deal, but it, it sounds like you're building a very, practical uh data platform for uh for growers as well that you know we around here we occasionally talk about uh you know if, you know can i get out of xl hell and if i have to manage one more dashboard uh it sounds like you you've got some pretty targeted information for your customers that that point of entry i think allows us to do things just much one of the big barriers for ag tech is just getting the grower to do data entry and do stuff and i don't blame growers for not wanting to do this you know if part of your software sales process is well i've got to send somebody over and teach you this for a month that's miserable nobody likes that we will give you actionable insights and so to your point i think the entry point is savings look you sit down with a grower and the initial sales meeting is I can save you money today, period. It's not a complex value prop. Everybody understands it. I think you need that. Like ag tech needs, this is another, uh, forgive me for sort of waxing on this, but I mean, this is another, you know, problem I think with venture-backed ag tech is sometimes the venture investor pushes the ag tech platform to do sort of a visionary offering. We're going to change the world and we're going to, and the grower just says, Hey, what are you going to do for me today? I'm, I'm hurting. You know, it's hard to operate, particularly in California. I'm beat down by regulations and are like, what, what are you going to do? My costs are rising. Labor costs is up. Help me today. And they're pitching some, well, 10 years from now, you know, your children will live in castles or whatever. And you know, that kind of thing. And that I, I think is never a good entry point. So our entry point is look, we save you money and we save you time. That's it. And then to your point, what we've now gotten into is, hey, we have this window into your entire operation. We can start de-risking things for you. We can look for points of risk where potentially preemptively, you know, down the road, you're going to get hit with some of these outside costs. And we're going to start to safeguard your operation and safeguard your farmland assets, you know, uh, and make sure you don't get into trouble. So, it goes from a, I saved you money to, I mean, we're not an insurance company. And in fact, as you know, I have issues with insurance right now since I'm evacuated from my house. But uh, but we, we kind of operate like that. We're going to take a look at your entire footprint because we're doing all your buying and we're going to call out things that might cause you trouble. And that has actually been sort of elevated the conversation now to, you know, we, we've sort of pleased the ranch manager. And the agronomists and the CTA and the PCA would, uh, you know, save you time and money, take headache off your lap. And now we're dealing with what I would call, again, the sort of CFO or the farmland asset investor or these people who are tying up money in something, investing money in something that is thought of as sort of a conservative asset, you know, farmland, for example. But actually, 
if you start looking at climate risk, if you look at sort of the biological nature of this asset, it's not real estate. There's a hell of a lot of risk there. And we're in a unique position because of the window we have in the guy's operations to start calling out these kind of problems. Well, you know, I, you know, just kind of, um, you know, one really one last question on the basis of everything that w- that we've talked about. You know, I'm always I, I always tend to uh, raise an eyebrow when I, you know, hear uh, growers and farmers or I, I mean, I, I, you know, you're 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 right. There's certainly a uh, uh, the word conservative uh, is is often used, you know, whether it's culturally or uh, from a bus- business standpoint. But, you know, my experience is that uh, the growers are uh, more than willing to change if you can show them a better way and you meet their needs today. And it, it sounds so. So my question is, um, and with and with that in mind and what you've talked about in terms of, you know, you know, a good old fashioned business basic, uh, if I can save you time and money, will you move on that proposition? And so your kind of your thoughts about uh you know, the, the, the grower community, the farming community, and uh, how willing they are to, uh, to embrace, embrace change. Because I, I think the secret to having that happen is actually pretty straightforward. And in my mind, and, and I would think yours, uh, your business proposi- proposition is demonstrating that. A hundred percent. You're absolutely right. Right. Growers will change if you can show them a return on investment. Yeah. And we are, you know, we have been able to deliver that, deliver that very quickly right up right from the get-go again that's the nice thing about sort of the the data platform but we can walk in and literally do this you know we can i can type in a name in my computer of any farming entity in california so the one good thing about all the regulations no in general they're obviously just unnecessarily costly to growers and i'm not i think i'm a less regulations guy from a socio-political stance but having said that they are there are things in California that are useful, and one of them is again we can immediately determine if we can save a guy a money. So in you know in five in a five minute conversation, the grower can see oh yeah you can save me money. Well, I, I I will I will say this I I hope you are the first and last person I uh, I interview for Voices of the Valley that uh, has been relocated because due to fires. So we, uh, uh, so I'm, I'm grateful you uh, took, took the time to uh, join us uh, this morning. And again, uh, we, we're certainly grateful for your sponsorship of Voices of the Valley because, uh, you know, the growers do need to hear, uh, you know, really what, what's going on and how things are changing and, and good news, things uh, can work. And, uh, and I think you hit upon uh, when you work together with the growing community, that's how you get the solutions that uh, make the most sense. So uh, thank, thanks very much for your time this morning, and uh, good luck with the insurance companies. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. We will see you next week for another episode of Voices of the Valley that will be brought to us by Harvestport. Thanks for listening to the Voices of the Valley's podcast, brought to you today by Harvestport, an innovation hub and marketplace for better agricultural products, practices, and ideas. Find out more at harvestport.com.